Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. A number of federal agencies are preparing for a shutdown. NPR's Windsor Johnston tells us Congress is scrambling to pass a short-term government spending bill. But it doesn't appear lawmakers will meet the September 30th deadline to reach a deal. With less than two days to go, Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is running out of time and options to unite his conference behind a stopgap bill. McCarthy has been deadlocked with a far-right faction of his party over the provisions of the measure, mainly spending levels and additional border security provisions. Without an agreement, millions of federal employees will go without pay starting next week. NPR's Windsor Johnston reporting. Leaders at the United Auto Workers Union will announce their next steps today. The UAW is not striking all facilities belonging to the big three U.S. automakers at present, but the union could widen those walkouts to more facilities today. More than 75,000 health care workers at Kaiser Permanente could go on strike next week. This is mostly due to concerns about understaffing. As NPR's Danielle Kay reports, today is the last round of in-person bargaining before their contract expires tomorrow. The workers who could walk off the job next Wednesday include lab technicians, nurses, and pharmacists. They're represented by a coalition of 12 local unions from California and Colorado to Washington, D.C. Fueling the strike threat are concerns about severe understaffing. Pamela Reed, a Kaiser optometrist in Maryland, says staff shortages are harming patient care. Pre-pandemic, it was more like you can get an appointment within five to ten business days. Post-pandemic, it's more like one to two months. The unions are pushing for better wages and benefits to retain and attract workers to alleviate the staffing crisis. Kaiser says it's committed to addressing staffing issues and that a strike isn't necessary. Danielle Kay, NPR News. A Michigan judge decides today whether the teenager who killed four classmates at Oxford High School almost two years ago should ever have a chance at freedom. From member station WDET, Quinn Kleinfelter reports defense attorneys say the teen is so young he could still be rehabilitated. Prosecutors argue Ethan Crumbly methodically shot and killed students at Oxford High School, then surrendered so he could enjoy watching the aftermath of the carnage. They say Crumbly deserves the harshest penalty possible under Michigan law, life without the chance for parole. But Crumbly's attorneys counter he was only 15 at the time and a victim of neglect from his parents, who ignored his cries for counseling and instead bought him a gun. The parents face charges of involuntary manslaughter. Even if Judge Kwame Rowe rules Crumbly eligible for parole, he could still hand the teen a life sentence. That decision comes in early December. For NPR News, I'm Quinn Kleinfelter in Detroit. You're listening to NPR News from Washington. I'm Rupa Shanoi. This is WBUR in Boston. Congressman Jim McGovern says he's hoping a federal government shutdown won't happen this weekend, but he says it's increasingly likely there will be one. He told WBUR's Radio Boston yesterday that the state's all-Democratic congressional delegation is doing everything it can to prevent a shutdown. I've lived through shutdowns. Um, others in the delegation have lived through shutdowns. They are a bad thing. They hurt a lot of people, uh, not to mention the fact that they have a lasting negative impact on our economy. Coming up in the next hour of Morning Edition, we'll be talking about the potential shutdown with House Minority Whip Massachusetts Congresswoman Catherine, Catherine Clark. Then at 11 on Radio Boston, we'll hear from Senator Elizabeth Warren. 
The chair of the state commission that regulates cannabis is suing the state treasurer for removing her from the job. The lawsuit alleges that Treasurer Deborah Goldberg suspended Shannon O'Brien as head of the Cannabis Control Commission without reason. The treasurer took O'Brien off the job two weeks ago without saying why. Goldberg says the suspension is based on concerns about O'Brien's behavior. The case is scheduled to go before a judge next week. MBTA commuter rail riders will see more late-night service starting next week. WBUR's Andrea Perdomo-Hernandez reports on the modified schedule. The T's general manager and CEO, Phil Eng, told MBTA board members that the new schedule reflects rider feedback. That includes requests for more late-night rail service. This schedule does add late-night extended service weekdays, weekends. It's something that we've been hearing about. We're pleased that we're able to do that here. Eng says the schedule also aims to reduce wait times between trains during peak commuting hours. We've added additional peak trains, two on each of those lines, Fitzburg, Franklin, Worcester, and Lowell. The new commuter rail schedule goes into effect next Monday. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Andrea Perdomo-Hernandez. Worcester is getting more than $8 million in federal funds to expand its fire department. The money from the Federal Emergency Management Agency will be used to hire 30 new firefighters over the next three years. It's part of an effort to fully staff the department. It's 7.06. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by ThoughtForms, custom builders of high-performance, healthy homes and places that strengthen our communities, supporting Climate Interactive's mission to help people everywhere create a sustainable and equitable future with their online climate solutions simulator, climateinteractive.org and thoughtforms-corp.com. The Red Sox were shut out last night in Baltimore. They lost to the Orioles 2-0. Baltimore clinched the American League East title with a win. The Sox and O's will play again tonight. Also tonight, the Bruins host the Philadelphia Flyers in an exhibition game. Mostly cloudy day today with some showers. It'll be in the 60s, cloudy with more rain possible overnight. Temperatures will be in the 50s, mostly cloudy with another chance for showers tomorrow back to the 60s, sunny and in the 70s on Sunday. Right now it's 56 degrees in Boston. Thanks for starting your day with WBUR. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by the Joyce Foundation. Committed to advancing racial equity and economic mobility for the next generation in the Great Lakes region. Learn more at JoyceFDN.org. I'm Lisa Mullins. Local news is more relevant than ever before. Whether we're covering climate change or income inequality or health care, these issues affect us right where we live. WBUR's local journalism needs a strong future, but that's far from certain. Giving monthly is the key to keeping WBUR strong. Help get us to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. This is Morning Edition on WBUR, where we're in our fall fundraiser. As a listener, you are always an important part of what we do here at WBUR. This is when we remind you that you actually make what you hear every morning possible. People who listen, like you, make up the largest share of our funding. This fundraiser, we want to bring on 2,500 new members to our community of listeners who give monthly to support WBUR. Monthly support helps us plan in an increasingly uncertain environment. We're trying to sustain our newsroom even as other news outlets dwindle and collapse. 
The news you depend on every day from us comes at a huge and constant expense. The solution is you. The number is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi, and in the studio with me this morning is Endless Thread host Anne-Marie Sievertson. The solution is you. I love that. It's so simple. It's so true. You, Your monthly gift is, is what helps protect WBUR for you and everyone who listens. And when you make that monthly gift today, today is the last day to be entered into a sweepstakes to win a trip to London. Five days, four nights, airfare, accommodation, and a chance to eat at four of Yotam Adelangi's uh, incredible restaurants. His his uh, reputation precedes himself. Just, you know, do this, do this for WBUR, but also you might get that little treat, that little sweepstakes win. 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call to make that monthly gift or go to WBUR.org. I'm Leila Faldin. We've learned that we can't take our democracy for granted. Journalism in the public interest, journalism that is the heart of WBUR, keeps democracy thriving. Member dollars give WBUR the time to pursue stories that can take months of investigation. These stories often reveal uncomfortable truths, truths that can lead to meaningful change. It all starts with member dollars. Not a member yet? Give today at WBUR.org. Listeners are the ones who make WBUR's paychecks possible. And if that makes you feel powerful, it is supposed to. That is the amount of impact you have on WBUR. When you give monthly, you help us know how much we have to work with, how we can plan to in the future, and how we can bring you the news that you depend on from us every day. You know how that works. You want security in your own life. You want to know what's coming in with your own budgets in the future. That's what you do for us. And this is when we come to you to ask you to do that. We are trying to bring on 2,500 new monthly contributors this uh, fundraiser. We have some thank you gifts that we told you about, but we know that you want to be a part of this community. You listen every morning. This is how you can take responsibility for it. This is how you can take responsibility for bringing this service to your community. These facts, this context, this up-to-date information that everyone needs every day to be a responsible part of their community. So give what you can. We'll appreciate whatever is right for you. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Rupa, there are two kinds of listeners out there to WBUR, the people who are members, sustaining members, monthly members, and the people who are not yet monthly members. <laughs> and we hope that you will take the opportunity right now in the, you know, the, the early days of this fall fundraiser and the last day to be entered into this sweepstakes, a chance to get that trip to London and eat at four of Yotam Adelangi's uh, world-renowned restaurants. Do this now because you make up the largest share of the fund that makes everything that you hear on WBUR possible. Everything that you hear was was paid for by the dollars of, of those people who have become members. And if you have not yet, do it now. The beauty is you do it in any amount. Maybe it's $5 a month that feels right for you. Maybe you can give a larger gift of $20 a month or $50 a month. You you get what you, you, you hear the investment every time you turn on WBUR. You made that possible. Join the members who have done that right now with your gift by calling 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBU. 
WWUR.org. And just a reminder that the thank you gift of a, being entered into the sweepstakes to go to London for five days and four nights to eat at four of Yotam Edelenghi's restaurants, that ends today. So get in on it. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you so much. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Boston Ballet's Fall Experience, featuring four dynamic ballets on stage October 5th to the 15th. Tickets at bostonballet.org. AL Prime Energy Consultant, distributor of wholesale gasoline and diesel fuels for retail and commercial use. ALPrime.com. And Winchester Natural Health, naturopathic, craniosacral, and acupuncture services focusing on chronic or unusual conditions. WinchesterNaturalHealth.com. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Sarah McCammon in Washington, D.C. And I'm A. Martinez in Culver City, California. Lawmakers in Congress have less than two days to pass a short-term funding bill and avoid a government shutdown. The White House insists a shutdown should not happen this weekend and that it wouldn't if House Republicans just did their job. But at the same time, the White House is preparing for a shutdown. That's something that seems quite likely to happen as early as Sunday. Now, you might think that this would mean the president would agree to the House Speaker's request for a meeting at the 11th hour, but you'd be wrong. NPR White House correspondent Asma Khalid spoke about this last night with President Biden's chief of staff. So here's what Jeff Zients told her. There's no need for a meeting right now. The meeting that has to take place is in the House of Representatives where House Republicans come together and fund the government. Asma joins us now with more from her exclusive interview. So Asma, explain this to us. I mean, so why is this uh, kind of face-to-face meeting between Biden and McCarthy unlikely to happen? Well, A, I think that backstory is important to understand here. And on Tuesday, Kevin McCarthy said that it would be very important to meet with President Biden amidst all of this shutdown drama. Uh, but fundamentally, the White House sees this as a problem that only House Republicans can solve. And Jeff Science, the chief of staff, told me that this is not even a conversation we ought to be having right now because this whole issue was settled months ago. Uh, he pointed to the fact that back in May, early June, a bipartisan deal was struck to raise the debt ceiling and fund the government. There's a deal in place, a compromise agreement that Democrats and Republicans came together on and the president signed into law. And now what we have is a small group of extreme Republicans in the House reneging on that deal. And I'm sure you get a sense of this here listening to the chief of staff, but really the strategy right now from the White House is to pin the blame on House Republicans. Yeah, but is the White House worried voters will ultimately hold the president responsible for this if the government shuts down? You know, I asked Zions that question, uh, if there could be any political repercussions that would filter over to the White House. And he insists that the American public understands a deal is a deal and that Republicans walked away from their end of the bargain. The White House is trying to show that the president has remained hard at work governing while the GOP is spending time on this impeachment hearing and also on dealing with this shutdown. I want to mention that I spoke to the chief of staff just after he got off of a Zoom meeting with cabinet secretaries to talk through shutdown plans. And just before the president of the United States called him to check in from Air Force One. And I mentioned this because clearly the White House is preparing. Um, You know, they have to manage the impacts of a shutdown. Ultimately, that falls on them. Here's the chief of staff again. It'll have a big impact on our 1.3 million active duty troops and their families. Our troops will not be paid. Air traffic controllers will not be paid. He also noted that FEMA recovery projects and small business loans would also stall if the government shut down. 
All right. So uh, where do the talks stand right now? Well, the Senate is moving forward with a short-term bipartisan bill to fund the government through mid-November, and that would provide aid to Ukraine as well as aid for disasters here in the United States. Uh, I should mention this is something that the White House supports. House Republicans have rejected that plan. Uh, they are moving ahead with their own approach, which does not seem really likely to go very far. You know, the thing is, McCarthy faces pressure from his right flank, and that has made it really hard for him to do this job um, and potentially make it very easy for him to lose his job job as speaker. I should say, should the government shut down on Sunday? Zions told me the president would absolutely be communicating with the American people and using that as a chance to push Congress. NPR's Asma Hala, thanks for laying this out for us. Happy to talk to you. The last time there was a government shutdown, members of the U.S. Coast Guard lined up at food pantries while they worked without pay. This time around, advocates are trying to avoid that. Steve Walsh with member station WHRO in Norfolk has the story. It's a quiet weekday afternoon at VFW Post 3160 in Norfolk, Virginia. The tables are mostly empty. Rob Peterson was post commander during the last shutdown in 2019. He says he can picture the place back then. We asked one of the chiefs over there at the Coast Guard what age kids all of his people had, you know, size diapers they needed, all that kind of stuff. And we set up like a Walmart with tables they could just walk through and get what they needed, whether it was diapers, toilet paper, paper towels. Mainly young members of the Coast Guard and their families, living paycheck to paycheck. They came into the post located just a couple of blocks from the Atlantic for supplies and a spaghetti dinner. It's amazing when somebody gets a tear in their eye because there's a package of toilet paper they can take for, for free because they don't have enough money to go buy it. John Ostrowski, a former Coast Guardsman and president of the Coast Guard Chief Petty Officers Association, says the office is already getting calls from members asking what they can do to pay their rent if they miss a paycheck again. During the last government shutdown, Congress passed a defense budget, so most of the military was paid, but not the roughly 50,000 members of the Coast Guard, most of whom still had to report for duty without pay. We probably have thousands of men, right, men and women right now, onboard cutters patrolling over in the uh, the Persian Gulf. And, and uh, you know, we have units all over the place. And we kind of get forgotten, you know, because we're part of Homeland Security. Another shutdown will make recruiting and retention even harder, he says. The Coast Guard has missed its recruiting targets in each of the last four years. Like other branches of the military, Coast Guard families can be isolated as they are asked to move around the country and even around the globe. But at the same time, they're out there doing their job and worrying about paying their bills or worrying about their credit because they're going to be late on a payment or something. 2018 to 2019 was the longest government shutdown, lasting 35 days. This time around, if there is no movement in Congress, the military won't be paid either. Congresswoman Jen Kiggins, a Republican from Virginia, is sponsoring a bipartisan effort to require all active duty members of the military to be paid during a shutdown, including the Coast Guard. A former Navy pilot, Kagan, says she's getting emails from groups who work with military families telling them to get ready. It creates a lot of anxiety for our men and women in uniform, and that's really the last thing they need to be worried about. So far, the bill has not received a hearing in the House. Back at the VFW, past post commander Doug Hoffman worries they will be overwhelmed. But this time it's going to be a larger impact. I'm sure we will help out, but it will be a lot harder because of the amount of people. We were able to provide so much because there was very few people. This time it's going to be more people and less supplies. 
Offman, who is also a federal shipyard worker, says he hopes Congress can avoid the shutdown altogether. For NPR News, I'm Steve Walsh in Norfolk. This might sound like a traffic jam. For United Auto Workers on the picket line, that is a sound of support. The union's historic strike has hit the two-week mark, and later this morning, the union could announce new strike locations. We've talked a lot about the things the union is asking for. Today, NPR's Camilla Domanowski brings us a story of a third-generation UAW worker for whom those demands feel personal. Ford's Michigan assembly plant stretches along this busy road for more than a mile. A noisy mile. Gate after gate, entrance after entrance, each with a cluster of picketers. Here, I don't know if you've noticed, but if 10 cars go by, eight of them are blowing their horn or waving, you know. We've had a few people who are pretty negative about it, but, I mean, they just don't understand. They've never worked what, like we've worked. Eric Mullins has been at Ford for three and a half years. His very first day, he was on the line installing tires. The cars would come down the line, and I'd have to get the wheels out, wheel and tire, put it on the car while it's still moving, start all six lug nuts by hand, shoot them with a little drill, and then, and then be done in time to give it to the next guy. One car a minute. That's what he's thinking about when hecklers drive by. But we don't, we, you know, we're lazy and we don't work hard. Today, Mullins drives a high-low, a forklift. And to explain why the union's on strike, he nods to some coworkers beside him on the picket line. Rob's been here since 88, and, you know, Sophus has been here just as long. You know, they make double what I do. Double. And I do the same job. I work with Rob all the time. Same job, same skill set. Pushing for the same pay for everyone is one of the union's big demands. It's something the UAW had and gave up around the financial crisis to help companies. Now the union wants it back. Same thing with retirement. Mullins has a 401k, but no guaranteed pension or retiree health care. Lots of workers don't get those these days, but auto workers used to like Mullins' dad. When he retires? Oh, he'll still have insurance. Absolutely, he'll still, he'll still get everything. He'll get a pension, all his benefits. We get nothing. So that's the kind of stuff that's got in. What Mullins wants is the kind of pay his coworker Rob has, the kind of retirement his dad will have, his grandfather had. Ford has offered things like big raises and cost of living guarantees, but automakers say they simply can't afford to give back everything, not while investing in EVs and competing with non-union companies. That's why a deal has been hard to reach. It's not striking because we want to strike. We, I mean, we want to go to work. I want to go to work. Mullen says he thinks the companies can afford more than they've offered. He mentions Ford CEO Jim Farley's pay. Well, Jim Farley made... 25 million this year? Farley made 21 mil last year, but the big three CEOs on average, Mullins had it on the dot. Ford, GM, and Stellantis have also been making billions in profits. There's money there, you know, and I get that we can't have everything we ask for because let's face it, some things are, you know, there's, ah, we'll throw it at the wall and see if it sticks kind of stuff. But. But he thinks they could get more than they've gotten. And like many workers on this line, he sees this strike as part of a bigger struggle. The problem is the rich want to get richer, and they want to keep the poor poor, and they want to wipe out the working class. He hopes the strike is successful. And? I hope we're not out here too long, but... The union reported some progress in talks with Ford last week, but no word of a breakthrough since. For now, these workers remain on strike. Some excited, some more resigned, but all of them determined. 
what are we going to do? I guess we got to take a stand for something. With a soundtrack of honks to let them know they're not standing alone. Camila Dominowski, NPR News, Wayne, Michigan. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Cambridge Science Festival. Find something fascinating now through October 1st, from wearable tech runway shows to hands-on robotics, from industry-leading health experts to the family-friendly science carnival. Visit cambridgesciencefestival.org to find out more. And Brookline Bank, where financial solutions are crafted to the needs of your business and delivered with a hands-on approach committed to your success. Learn more at brooklinebank.com, member FD. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. In a world where often only those who can afford a subscription are the ones with access to the most credible, high-quality news sources, WBUR is available to anyone, anywhere, anytime, at no cost. But we can't take our future for granted. Giving monthly is the key to keeping WBUR strong. So help us get to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. You're listening to WBUR's Morning Edition, and this is our fall fundraiser. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi here with Endless Thread host Amory Sievertson. We're asking 2,500 of you who don't already give to WBUR to recognize what you get from us every day and step up and give. Any amount helps us, especially when you give on a monthly basis. That lets us know how to plan. And I'm going to tease here that we have some really special gifts to thank you this morning. Keep listening to hear about that, but also call to give. The number is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Here's Amory. Hi, Rupa. So, you know, I've been flipping through this Ottolenghi book, Extra Good Things, and every single recipe, I'm like, I want someone to make this for me. I, know, right? I want someone to make this for me. I want someone to make this for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Ottolenghi <laughs> talked with Rachel Martin on NPR's Morning Edition some years back. And, and here's a little bit of that conversation. You say there is value in, in going out and searching for that special ingredient to take your vegetables to the next level. Yeah, so this has always been important to me, and now it's actually part of my brand, a word that I don't like to use, but I think people that see my name on a recipe book expect to be surprised and expect to be informed about the next big ingredient. And it doesn't need to be expensive, but they do require you to go maybe go out of your way to an ethnic shop, to maybe a Middle Eastern supermarket or an Asian supermarket and go and buy them. But they do add a lot of extra interest to your food. And if you do want that little edge, that little flavor or taste that you haven't had before, then it is an effort worth taking. But having said that, don't stress out. If you see a recipe that has an ingredient that you don't know, often I I think you can leave it out or there's easy substitutes and, and you'll be fine. Now, you know, Rupa, if, 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 the, if you out there listening are like me and want someone to make these recipes for you, <laughs> you're in luck because this is the last day of our sweepstakes to win a trip to London, five days, four nights, airfare, accommodations, to eat at four of Ottolenghi's restaurants where his chefs will make these recipes for you. <laughs> <laughs> and also as our, as our thanks uh, for a gift of $12 a month to WBUR, you can get a copy of this cookbook. You can give it to someone who likes to cook. 
cookbook, and they can make those recipes for you. So this is really just a whole hack we figured out here. This is clearly Amory's plan. All is our, yep, yep, you figured me out. <laughs> All is our thanks for just doing your part for WBUR, supporting the station that supports you in so many ways. So call 1-800-909-9287. Go to WBUR.org. Make that monthly gift. Win that sweepstakes. Try these recipes. Win, win, win. Am I right? Oh, you are right. And he mentioned there that, you know, maybe you have to go a little out of your way. I got to give a shout out to the people who make ethnic and Asian supermarkets in their way. <laughs> regularly <laughs> yeah, we go to ethnic right up the street. Asian. Yes. This is a regular part of our life. And so this is for you. This makes use of everything you already have and that you like to see in the supermarket every time that you go. You, could, you should see some of these pictures. They are amazing to look at. And this is just a small token of our thanks that you get when you su- show your support for WBUR because we know that you care. We know that you listen every morning. We know that you value this service that we bring you every single day to your community on air, online, in the form of newsletters and podcasts, that can only continue with your support. So if you don't already give, think about becoming one of the 2,500 monthly subscribers who or monthly contributors who keep this station going. Call one 800 909 or go to WBUR.org to give monthly and help us toward our goal. And again, this is the last day to get on the, get in on the sweepstakes to go to London for five days and four nights and eat at four of Adelangi's restaurants, which are amazing. And we know because we're looking at the cookbook for $12 a month, you will get the cookbook and you will be able to replicate those recipes yourself. These are recipes that really focus on vegetables and make you and help you learn how to bring out everything that is wonderful about vegetables that, you know, half the world that only eats vegetarian already knows about, but you can know about it too. So go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. And thank you so much for your support. Support for NPR comes from this station and from your part-time controller, specializing in nonprofit accounting, helping nonprofit organizations, including religious organizations with their accounting needs, more at yourparttimecontroller.com. From the Sci Sims Foundation, since 1985, supporting advances in science, education, and the arts towards a fairer, more just, and civil society. More information is available at scisimsfoundation.org. From the Katina Foundation, supporting the Asylum Seeker Advocacy Project, providing more than 100,000 asylum seekers in the U.S. with community and legal support. Learn more at Asylum.News. And from listeners like you who donate to this NPR station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. Lawmakers on Capitol Hill have until tomorrow night to pass funding to keep the federal government open beyond the weekend. Nothing has yet been approved by both the House and Senate. Last night, the House passed three spending bills to temporarily fund the State Department, the Pentagon, and Homeland Security. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says congressional leaders are having to look beyond a plan A. In this job, you've got to have A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Republican Matt Gates of Florida is one of the House GOP conservatives pushing for steeper spending cuts. My frustration is that we're $33 trillion in debt running $2 trillion annual deficits with no real end in sight. That's my frustration. 
The president of the United Auto Workers is threatening to expand the UAW strike against Detroit's big three automakers. Sean Fain is expected to announce additional strike targets today, depending on the status of contract talks with Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. Fain is also condemning reports of violence being directed at UAW picket lines. These attacks on our members exercising their constitutional rights to strike and picket will not be tolerated. He was speaking in a video message. GM and Stellantis deny they're enabling attacks on UAW members, as Fain alleges. This is NPR News from Washington. Police in Pakistan say a bombing near a mosque in the country's southwest has killed more than 50 people. Dozens more were injured. That explosion went off at a rally celebrating the birthday of the Prophet Muhammad. Investigators say they're still trying to determine if a suicide bomber was responsible. A bombing at a second mosque in Pakistan in a province that borders Afghanistan has left at least two people dead today. A new State Department report is critical of China. It accuses Beijing of funding a global propaganda campaign that deliberately spreads misinformation. NPR's Emily Fang has more. The report says Chinese state entities create false personas and exploit international social media sites to spread misinformation and propagate narratives that favor China's political objectives on everything from Russia's war in Ukraine to the island of Taiwan. James Rubin, a senior State Department official, says Beijing is acting with clear intent. You can see a breathtaking ambition to have information dominance in certain parts of the world, crucial parts of the world. The State Department report says that China then offers its state news content for free to countries in Africa and the Pacific, thus seeding misinformation far beyond China's borders. Emily Fang, and Pure News. Wall Street futures are higher this morning. Dow futures are up 144 points. I'm Dave Mattingly in Washington. This is WBUR in Boston. I'm Rupa Shanoi. Massachusetts hospitals spent more than $2 billion on temporary staffing over the past two years. That's according to new data from the state. WBUR's Priyanka Dale McCluskey reports hospitals have been struggling to fill thousands of permanent positions. Many full-time healthcare workers left their jobs or cut their hours during the pandemic. As a result, hospitals had to hire more traveling nurses and other temporary workers. The demand for labor, especially during COVID surges, sent costs soaring. The Massachusetts Center for Health Information and Analysis says hospitals spent $1.5 billion on temporary staffing last year alone. And hospital leaders say those costs remain high amid ongoing workforce shortages. Hospitals across the state have some 19,000 open jobs. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Priyanka Dale McCluskey. A major highway and transit redevelopment project in Alston is one step closer to reality. The state is requesting $500 million from the federal government to fund the project. The long-planned project would rebuild the Mass Pike and Storrow Drive in the area, as well as expand open space and waterfront access. The Boston Public Library is taking action against growing pressure from some groups calling for the removal of some books. The BPL is joining the group's Books Unbanned. It was started by the Brooklyn Public Library. It gives 13 to 26-year-olds nationwide access to every digital book in the Boston Public Library. Melissa Andrews is one of the coordinators at the BPL. 
So what's so troubling about the book challenges is that it's primarily diverse books, books that are celebrating the experiences and voices of communities that may not be at the forefront of publishing, that have traditionally been underrepresented. Andrew says teens and young adults can go to the BPL's website to sign up for the free program. It's 736. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Direct Tire and Auto Service. A dealer alternative, your local mechanic and tire dealer, serving Newton, Watertown, and the surrounding communities. DirectTire.com. The Red Sox lost to the Orioles 2-0 last night in Baltimore. The Sox and O's will play again tonight. A good chance of rain today. It'll be mostly cloudy and we'll have highs in the mid-60s. The clouds stick around tonight. Temperatures drop to the mid-50s. Fog and showers overnight and more rain is possible tomorrow. Otherwise, Saturday will be cloudy with highs in the mid-60s. Then it clears up for a sunny Sunday with highs in the low 70s. Right now it's 56 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station and from your part-time controller specializing in nonprofit accounting, helping nonprofit organizations, including religious organizations, with their accounting needs. More at yourparttimecontroller.com. From Procter & Gamble, maker of Align Probiotic, a daily supplement designed by gastroenterologists to help relieve occasional bloating, gas, and abdominal discomfort. More at alignprobiotics.com. And from listeners like you who donate to this NPR station. This is Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Martinez in Culver City, California. And I'm Sarah McCammon in Washington, D.C. This week, Israel's tourism minister went to Saudi Arabia, and a Saudi envoy took a trip to the Israeli-occupied West Bank. The unprecedented visits follow the U.S.-brokered relationships that were established between Israel and a number of Arab countries in 2020, and they take place against a backdrop of public statements from both Israeli and Saudi leaders that suggest the next chapter in what are known as the Abraham Accords. That's welcome news for U.S. leaders. Never did we imagine it possible in our lifetimes to see the possible normalization of relations between the Saudis and Israelis. It's an extraordinary and historic opportunity, not just for these two countries, but for the entire world. Dean Phillips of Minnesota is the ranking Democrat on the House Foreign Affairs Subcommittee on the Middle East. The chairman of that panel is Republican Congressman Joe Wilson of South Carolina. They were part of a bipartisan delegation that visited Israel and Saudi Arabia in late August. And I asked them about America's place in the negotiations. The United States plays a significant role relative to a defense pact with the Saudis, equipment and materiel relative to their military, and potentially a civilian nuclear program as well. Uh, If those things can be met and also uh, meeting some of the needs of the Palestinians, this could be an extraordinary legacy at a time the world surely needs it. What does Saudi Arabia want out of a potential deal? I would say that they want stability. They are economically such a superpower. And then another historic step, I appreciate so much the success of President Donald Trump, where the relationship has been established of uh, Israel with uh, UAE, with Bahrain, with Morocco, with Sudan. Our hopes are and still are uh, for uh, the Abraham Accords to be extended to include Saudi Arabia. And Sarah, this is Dean Phillips. Um, The Saudis have announced a very bold and ambitious plan called Vision 2030, in which they're investing hundreds of billions of dollars to make uh, Saudi Arabia and Riyadh in particular an economic and tourism hub uh, in the entire region. And to accomplish that, uh, their first and foremost priority is, is national security. Uh, they are at risk from the Iranians and Iranian proxies. Mm-hmm. 
So they are seeking uh, some defense guarantees from the United States. They want a civilian nuclear program. And the Saudis and many of us around the world want to see steps taken to create peace between Palestinians and Israelis. And you mentioned the role of the U.S. in helping to broker this deal. What does the U.S. get out of it? Well, the United States will get out of it uh, a historic opportunity to be peacemakers, to inspire uh, new relations, economic and otherwise. And that stability will create opportunities for uh, United States companies, for American tourists. And I think maybe lost in this is also an opportunity for here a wonderful Republican and I a Democrat to go around the world in, in difficult, complicated places. Uh, and I can tell you, if Chairman Wilson and I can establish the relationship that we have, uh, surely the Saudis and Israelis and other countries in the world can do the same. And it's exciting too. What we get out of it is uh, our very important security partner, the democratic country of Israel, as opposed to being associated or, or under the influence of the Chinese Communist Party or war criminal Putin. We have such an opportunity uh, to uh, promote, again, stability, which is going to be so beneficial uh, throughout uh, the region. Saudi Arabia's desire for nuclear power seems to be part of this conversation. How does that fit in? Well, I think it's exciting, and that's civilian nuclear power. And uh, I know in my home state of South Carolina, 60 percent of the electric generation is uh, through nuclear capability, uh, which provides uh, energy security and independence for our allies around the world and America. And I agree with Chairman Wilson. In this day and age, we equate civilian nuclear uh, energy production with, unfortunately, the production of nuclear weapons. Uh, they do not necessarily go hand in hand, but that is part of this negotiation to ensure that this is a peaceful use uh, of nuclear energy. And I think uh, we're moving in that direction. What would an agreement between Israel and Saudi Arabia, if it can be reached, mean for the Palestinians? It is my hope as a, a proud, uh, unwavering supporter of the state of Israel, I believe deeply in its right to exist. Um, I also have compassion for any people that are suffering. And, and I do have compassion for the Palestinian people that have had very weak leadership for many generations, uh, that live in appalling conditions too often. Uh, children are suffering. But I think the Saudis uh, have an extraordinary uh, meaningful opportunity uh, to actually inspire better leadership uh, amongst the Palestinians because uh, they will need uh, a thoughtful, principled partner on the other side of the table if anybody hopes to achieve security, peace, prosperity, both for the Palestinian people uh, and Israelis. Why does this conversation between Israel and Saudi Arabia appear to be moving forward now? I believe, again, it's an extension of the Abraham Accords that have been so successful uh, and we need to be working together. And uh, I, I'm just so concerned about terrorism around the world. Saudi Arabia is well aware that if Iran uh, develops a nuclear capability, that it puts uh, the existence of the kingdom and, at risk, too. I agree with Chairman Wilson's uh, contention that it was the Abraham Accords initiated by the Trump administration that, that got this ball rolling. It, it took the pioneering uh, inspiration of Morocco, Bahrain, uh, the UAE, uh, to make peace with uh, one of their arch enemies. That paved the path uh, to uh, further peacemaking. And by the way, if the Saudis normalize with Israel, uh, I think it's fair to say that much of the Arab world and Muslim world will follow suit. And then, hey, lightning's going to strike. Uh, and that is, I want to say something good about the Biden administration. And that is that they reached an agreement uh, just beyond uh, Saudi Arabia, but with uh, Lebanon and Israel for offshore drilling in the Mediterranean for oil to reduce dependence on uh, Putin. So there is progress uh, being made and we will continue that effort.
October 2nd marks five years since agents of the Saudi government, apparently backed by the crown prince, murdered the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, who was a columnist for The Washington Post, who'd been living in the U.S. Is that coming up in these conversations? It most surely is, Sarah. That's a stain, uh, of course, on Saudi Arabia. And we have to uh, not forget that. Uh, With that said, it's an opportunity uh, to afford the Saudis some space to recognize that that behavior not only won't be tolerated, it is antithetical uh, to peacemaking uh, and could destroy uh, the very foundations of what could be the most historic normalization maybe in world history. Congressman Phillips and Congressman Wilson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sarah. Grateful to be with you. Thank you. Republican Joe Wilson of South Carolina chairs the House Foreign Affairs Subcommittee on the Middle East. Democrat Dean Phillips of Minnesota is the ranking member on that panel. Coming up this afternoon on All Things Considered, legal experts say it's not yet clear what a judge's fraud ruling will mean for former President Donald Trump's business empire, but they agree he faces grave financial and legal peril. To hear the story, listen to NPR on your smartphone, smart speaker, or on the radio. This is NPR News. WBUR supporters include Babson College, who believes the future is fueled by entrepreneurial leaders. Learn to lead with impact and become a driving force for change. Explore Babson's full-time in-person programs and part-time in-person and online programs at their graduate virtual open house October 4th and 5th. Register at babson.edu slash gradopenhouse. Cloudy in mid-60s today with a good chance of rain. Overcast in mid-50s tonight with more rain likely over night. Saturday, showers possible. It'll be in the mid-60s. Sunny on Sunday in the low 70s. Right now it's 56 degrees in Boston. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Fort Point Arts Community. With open studios featuring art, music, a Lego display, and an architectural wheel of fortune featuring Boston landmarks. October 13th through 15th. Visit fortpointarts.org. I'm Deepa Fernandez. The crisis in journalism has been chronicled many times over. The pandemic and current economic conditions hasten the decline. Most of the focus has been on newspapers, but even WBUR's own future is far from assured. That's why we need more members and member dollars. Giving $10 or $20 every month is the single best thing you can do to keep our journalism going. Give monthly at WBUR.org. And thank you. This is Morning Edition on WBUR, where we're in our fall fundraiser. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi, here with Endless Thread host Amory Sievertson. Every morning, myself and the team here at Morning Edition, who I'm looking at through the glass here, we are thinking about how we sustain you by bringing you the news you need to know about your world and your community. When you listen, you can trust that you are fully informed. This is when we ask you to remember that you sustain us because listeners drive WBUR. They are our lifeline. They are our biggest share of funding. And we're asking you to be one of them who gives monthly to make sure this service stays as strong as what you hear every morning. When you give monthly, you give us reliable support and peace of mind that will be able to keep WBUR strong into the future. So we're 
we're asking 2,500 of you who don't already give to WBUR to recognize what you get from us every day and step up and give monthly. The number is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Here's Amory. Rupa, I feel like either the um, the oatmeal is just kicking in, or I'm still a little sleepy, or maybe I'm a genius. But I think I'm I think I'm suddenly realizing that uh, you know we have the sweepstakes on the table. This is a, a trip to London, five days, four nights, to eat at four of Yotam Adelangi's restaurants, the king of vegetables, as I've deemed him. And I'm realizing that Adelangi is to vegetables as WBUR is to news. Oh. Right. So I see it. You know, he takes something that you think you should consume and makes you want to consume it Mm -hmm. the same way that WBUR takes the news, something that you feel like "Eh, you should consume because, you know, that makes you a more informed citizen and makes you not only want to consume it, but really helps you appreciate the richness of life. You know, we bring out the humanity in the news and 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 show you just how incredible and inspiring and confusing and and, um, you know, meaningful our fellow humans can be and, and how we're all better when we understand our world better. So when you support WBUR, you are giving that to yourself. You're giving that to everyone. You're allowing everyone to experience the richness of humanity beyond the news, but to really make sense of it all. And we have this great sweepstakes on the table that kind of puts it all together. You get to experience WBUR. You get the satisfaction of knowing that you're supporting WBUR. You're giving it to everybody. And you could win that trip to London to eat your literal vegetables. Uh, 1-800-909-9287 is the number to call or go to WBUR.org. Hi, I'm Lauren Freyer, an international correspondent for NPR based in London, part of our global team of reporters bringing you news from around the world. Daniel Estrin, NPR News, Jerusalem. Emily Fang, NPR News, Taipei. Ada Pralta, NPR News, Guatemala City. And NPR can commit to this coverage because of your investment in public radio. Please give to this station today. And thanks. Your monthly gift matters. We often feel like we can't make a difference as an individual about so many things in our world. This is one way you can know you make a difference. You can feel confident about that because you listen to us every day. You know the strong, consistent journalism we bring you. That only happens because of a community of listeners who already give. All you have to do is join them and make them stronger. Any amount helps us, especially, again, when you give on a monthly basis. That lets us know how to plan, and you do your own planning, so you know how that is. You need to know what you're going to be planning with. And, again, we have these great gifts on the table. All you, I'm going to let uh, Amory talk about that again because she talks about them so well. Um, I think, <laughs> wow, I, now I want to eat vegetables. Like, I had oatmeal too, but I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm ready to have some vegetables. Anyway, the number is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. Remember what you do for WBUR. Remember what you hear from WBUR and do what you can to help us sustain this important service. 1-800-909-9287-WBUR.org. We sustain you. You sustain us. Please do it now. Thank you so much. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Data IQ, a platform for everyday AI, dedicated to helping teams move beyond the lab to build generative AI applications at enterprise scale. D-A-T-A-I-K-U.com. And from Procter & Gamble, maker of Metamucil, 
a fiber supplement containing psyllium, a plant-based fiber for trapping and removing waste in the digestive system, designed to be taken every day. More at metamucil.com. This is NPR. This is WBUR's Morning Edition. I'm Rupa Shanoi. This is the time of year when people head outside to see all the fall colors New England has to offer. And for lots of people, that means a trip north, maybe to New Hampshire. But Massachusetts now has a department aimed at keeping more people looking to spend time outdoors here in Massachusetts. Paul Janicki is director of the newly created Office of Outdoor Recreation and joins me now. Good morning. Good morning. So Massachusetts has agencies like the Department of Conservation and Recreation. Why was a department specifically focused on outdoor recreation necessary? So I think it's really important that we have an office that specifically focuses on promoting all kinds of outdoor recreation, air-based, water-based, trail-based. And I'm really excited about focusing on doing that and also to focus on making outdoor recreation as welcoming, inclusive, diverse and accessible as possible. I'm sure you have lots of things you're hoping to achieve. Can you give us some examples of specific goals you're thinking about right now? Well, this is a new office. It's just created. I've started this week, and it'll be my job to enhance outdoor recreation opportunities. And I see that as really forming around three pillars. First is promotion. Second is inclusion. And the third is sustainability. We want to promote Massachusetts as a great place to recreate outdoors. We want more people choosing to come to Massachusetts, and we want more residents choosing to stay and play in Massachusetts. Second, again, we want to make Massachusetts recreation activities and spaces welcoming, diverse, and accessible. And third, we want to make sure as we grow outdoor recreation in Massachusetts that it's both resilient to climate change and also sustainable, and we want to make sure our natural capital continues to be as strong and healthy as our community and economic capital. And what's at stake here? I mean, are we talking about tourism dollars? We are absolutely talking about tourism dollars. We're talking about bringing more tourism dollars to local communities and to the state and also making sure that our residents are spending more of their tourism and travel dollars here in the state. You mentioned making the outdoors more accessible to people. In addition to making things like trails more accessible to people with mobility issues, many outdoor hobbies are expensive or hard to get to. How are you hoping to make things more accessible for people who maybe live in the city or come from low-income backgrounds? Yeah, that's right. Accessibility is more than just about, you know, ambulatory accessibility. It's also about what's the language that we used? How easy is it to find activities that you want to participate in? How easy is it to get to the those activities? So we want to focus on transportation and alternatives to car-based transportation. We also want to look at programs for language, making sure that those who don't necessarily speak English as a first language uh, have access to information in languages that they want. And then, again, you noted that gear can often be a barrier. So we're going to look at programs and working with partners to make gear more accessible, maybe loan programs, things like that. When thinking about outdoor recreation, just to look again at how Massachusetts compares to other New England states, how does Massachusetts compare? What does it have to do to get on par with them? Well, I do think Massachusetts is an amazing place to play outdoors. We have everything from the coasts and rivers and mountains. We compare very well to our neighboring states. And some of that is just about how we how we market Massachusetts and how we make sure that people can find uh, where and how to play in Massachusetts. What draws you to the outdoors yourself? What do you like to do outside in Massachusetts? 
I, you know, am born and bred in Massachusetts. I grew up in Williamsburg, Massachusetts, and I love to explore our uh, forests and parks around here. I'm a trail runner, I participate in triathlons. I'm a boater, uh, paddler, uh, cross-country skier in the winter, downhill skier as well. And in this role, I look forward to exploring those that I haven't necessarily had an opportunity to try yet. Paul Janagy is the director of the Office of Outdoor Recreation. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. WBUR supporters include AE Events, design and production of corporate and nonprofit events, weddings and conferences. Website at aeevents.com. Authentic, artful, accomplished. I'm Lisa Mullins. Local news is more relevant than ever before. Whether we're covering climate change or income inequality or health care, these issues affect us right where we live. WBUR's local journalism needs a strong future, but that's far from certain. Giving monthly is the key to keeping WBUR strong. Help get us to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. You're back with the fall fundraiser on WBUR. We're asking you to think about everything you get from us for free on air, online, in the form of newsletters and podcasts. We help keep you up to date with what's going on around you. Like the interview you just heard about the, with, uh, about the state's new Department of Outdoor Recreation, which is an attempt to bring in more tourism dollars. We'll also have a conversation coming up with Congresswoman Catherine Clark about the looming federal shutdown that's looking more and more likely All of that can only continue with your support. All you need to do is call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org to give monthly. You will help us toward our goal, this fundraiser, to bring on 2,500 new monthly contributors. We appreciate all support, but we are especially grateful for monthly support because it helps us know what we have to work with so we can plan for the future. The number again is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shanoi joined in the studio this morning by Amory Sievertson of the podcast Endless Thread. You know, Rupa, sometimes I hear a, a job like head of the Department of Outdoor Recreation and I'm, I think, I want that job. That sounds great. <laughs> and then I pause and I go, no, no, no. I have the greatest job in the world, which is telling people about that, telling people about news happening in their own backyard, whether it's, you know, how to better engage with the outdoor spaces around them or about the issues that are... Uh, you know, swirling around us, more complicated issues that really need to be unpacked and understood. That takes enormous resources to do it well, to do it thoughtfully, to do it thoroughly. And WBUR takes that seriously. Um, and here is just one great example of the kind of storytelling that that we bring you here at WBUR. A story facing every community, every family across the country really is the ongoing addiction crisis. And it's been a focus of WBUR's coverage for years, especially in the area of Boston where the crisis is most visible, near the intersection of Massachusetts Avenue and Melnia Cass Boulevard, or so-called Mass and Cass. We've talked with many of the hundreds of people who are living or have lived on the streets or frequented that area where drug dealing and drug use is rampant. I've basically been disabled for a while and I've been trying to get housing and this is kind of the only uh, the only option that I have at the moment. 
We've also heard various plans from city and state officials to deal with the problem. This is really about getting to root causes, changing the dynamic, and part of the dynamic exists because everything is concentrated in one part of the city. We've talked with families trying to find loved ones at Mass and Cass, with police and sheriffs about arrests. And it's an issue we'll keep following because we know you want to know about the latest proposals and how local, state, and federal resources are being used to address addiction, mental health, and homelessness. So we'll keep talking, especially with those directly affected and with healthcare providers trying to help and policymakers grappling with trying to prevent even more more lives lost to really what is an immense crisis of our time. That is the kind of reporting you make possible when you give a monthly gift. The number again is 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. You'll be able to listen to this service every morning and know that you made it possible. Please be one of the 2,500 new monthly contributors we're trying to bring on and thank you. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Northeastern University's Institute for Experiential AI, with a day-long event leading with AI responsibly. Explore the impact generative AI technologies like ChatGPT have on business with experts from Chegg, Google, Fidelity, and more, Wednesday, October 18th. More at ai.northeastern.edu. And Ocean State Job Lot, whose charitable foundation strives to make a positive impact on its communities. More at OceanStateJobLot.com. I'm Weekend Edition host Sharon Brody, and this is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. You can listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. The White House insists the government should not shut down this weekend and that it would not if House Republicans did their jobs. But as NPR's Asma Khalid reports, the Biden administration is working on contingency plans. The Office of Management and Budget is coordinating with federal agencies to ensure there's a plan in place if the government shuts down on Sunday. The White House Chief of Staff, Jeff Zients, told NPR the president expects Congress to do the, quote, right thing. And if we get into the unfortunate situation, which we should not, of the government shutting down, then the president will communicate with the American people. Zients noted a shutdown would have a big impact. Small business loans and FEMA recovery efforts would be stalled. Active troops and air traffic controllers would not get paychecks. But the main message from this White House is that there was a deal struck months ago to fund the government and House Republicans need to keep their end of the bargain. Asma Khalid, NPR News. The United Auto Workers could increase the number of automotive facilities they're striking today. The union has said it wants to see more progress in contract talks with the big three U.S. automakers. Transgender children in Tennessee and Kentucky will no longer be able to access gender-affirming care. A federal court has ruled both states can enforce bans on their care while respective lawsuits go through the courts. From member station WPLN, Mariana Bacayao has more. The ruling from the Sixth Circuit is temporary, as both states deal with legal challenges to laws preventing trans kids from accessing treatment like hormone therapy and puberty blockers. And a similar ban being considered in Ohio, also in the Sixth Circuit, now has a more clear path forward. That worries plaintiff Samantha Williams. 
who had been looking into crossing state borders to get care for her trans daughter. The two states where we were looking to go for care if the injunction wasn't granted now have bills of their own. The ruling puts the issue of gender-affirming care one step closer to the Supreme Court, as courts have blocked similar bans in other states from taking effect. For NPR News, I'm Mariana Bacayao in Nashville. Officials in New York City say they've arrested a drug suspect. They allege he carried about 30 pounds of fentanyl in a rolling suitcase onto a city subway. Frank Tarantino is with the Drug Enforcement Administration. It is the most reckless and most irresponsible thing that traffickers could do is move this poison on the public transportation system. Officers found more fentanyl in the suspect's New York City apartment. This happened just blocks away from another drug bust last week. A one-year-old baby died after being exposed to the drug in his apartment-based daycare. You're listening to NPR. From WBUR in Boston, I'm Rupa Shanoi. The potential federal government shutdown would have an immediate impact on Head Start. That's the federally funded program that serves low-income preschoolers. As WBUR's Emily Piper Villillo reports, one Head Start agency in Massachusetts says it would have to scramble for new funding. Massachusetts offers 159 Head Start programs. Some run on a fiscal calendar that begins October 1st including Community Action Pioneer Valley in Greenfield, which serves roughly 300 kids. Tommy Sheridan is the deputy director of the National Head Start Association. He says in the event of a shutdown, centers may have to pull from reserves or lines of credit to avoid closing. They're working on plans to stay open and keep the doors open so that children and families are not, services are not impacted to them, um, at least in the short run. Sheridan says the longer a shutdown lasts, the more likely it becomes that some centers may temporarily close. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Emily piper Valillo. We'll get more on the potential shutdown from Congresswoman Catherine Clark. That conversation is coming up in a few minutes here on Morning Edition. One thing that wouldn't be affected in a shutdown is the disaster recovery efforts from last month's flooding. Businesses, renters, and homeowners in Essex, Middlesex, and Suffolk counties affected by the flooding are eligible to apply for low-interest loans. Jim Accurso is a spokesperson for the Small Business Administration. It's going to be business as usual uh, at this point. So we encourage folks to come in. Uh, you know, again, at the very least, you know, they can go online at disasterloanassistance.sba.gov and they can apply that way. He adds the SBA has received 21 applications for disaster relief in just a few days and that more are expected. Applications will be accepted through November 20th. A man is being treated for injuries after being shot by police in Lakeville. State police say the incident happened early this morning during a confrontation between the man and local police. Few details are being released. No officers were injured. Long-awaited commuter rail service to New Bedford and Fall River could begin as soon as next summer. That's the new estimate for South Coast Rail Service from the MBTA. It's about a year and a half later than previous estimates. The MBTA did not give a reason for this latest delay. It's 8.07. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Cambridge Science Festival, Boston Fashion Week, Illuminous, and Stiggity Stacks, a one-night-only future fashion experience, tomorrow, September 30th in Kendall Square. And Metro West Subaru, where same-day and next-day service appointments are available, service until 9 on Route 9 in Natick.
The Red Sox were shut out by the Orioles last night. The final in Baltimore was 2-0. The Sox will try to stop their five-game losing streak when the teams play again tonight. Also tonight at the Garden, the Bruins and Flyers meet in an exhibition game. Mostly cloudy today with some showers. It'll be in the 60s. Cloudy with more rain possible overnight. Temperatures will be in the 50s. Mostly cloudy with another chance for showers tomorrow. Back to the 60s. Sunny and in the 70s on Sunday. Right now, it's 56 to 57 degrees in Boston. Thanks for starting your day with WBUR. WBUR supporters include Jarl and Pamela Moon, focusing on civil liberties, foster youth, public radio, and the arts. I'm Tiziana Deering. At WBUR, our job goes beyond reporting the news. We also help make sense of an increasingly complex world. We foster understanding, build community, and when we can, we spark joy and laughter. But as we look forward, we know our future's not a given. Giving monthly, it is key to keeping WBUR strong. So help us get to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. Good morning. This is the Fall Fundraiser on WBUR. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy. You're listening because you care about what's going on in the world. And there's a lot. It's tough to keep up with what you need to know, even just about the region or the city. We're bringing you news about upcoming city council elections, efforts to fight the opioid crisis, our strained shelter system helping local families. Bringing you all that news every day is really expensive, but we do it for you every day, and we are very grateful to do that. This is when we come back to you to say we need your help to keep all of this going. 2,500 of you, we need you to become new monthly contributors. That's our goal, this fundraiser, for 2,500 of you to decide to give monthly to WBUR. We need you to call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org and give what you can. With me in the studio this morning, I'm so glad to say good morning to Endless Thread host, Amory Siebertson. I'm so glad to say good morning to you too, Rupa. And I love that you say, you know, thank you for starting your day with Morning Edition to the listener out there. And that is true. We know you have a choice uh, for who you turn to to start your day with, to get your kind of your your early morning dose uh, of, of news and information, but also you're welcome for starting your morning with WBUR because you already know more than you did when you woke up. Mm-hmm. You maybe think differently about an issue that we're covering in the news, you know, and we bring it to you without a paywall, which is kind of bananas, but we do it because WBUR <laughs> is a public service. We it, we know that it matters that, that we bring you fact-based, thoughtfully researched, analyzed news and information because it impacts how you think about about the world. So we're asking you right now to be one of those 2,500 new members, one of the people that sustains WBUR. And we just might sustain you with some Ottolenghi delicious uh, vegetables because <laughs> we have a sweepstakes right now. You can uh, any, any monthly contribution you make, you'll be entered to win a trip to London, five days, four nights, a chance to eat at four of Yotam Ottolenghi's world-renowned restaurants just for making your gift right now. And you know what? Yotam Ottolenghi talked with Rachel Martin on Morning Edition a few years back, and here he is talking about some of the wonderful things he does with vegetables. 
I grew up in, in Jerusalem in the Middle East and in various parts of the Middle East and Asia. The diet is very plant-based and uh, doesn't include lots of meat in it. Meat is more special. You add a little bit of it or you don't use it at all. And that attitude, is, as I think, is a very healthy attitude to eating. It's not about denying yourself of something completely. It's about celebrating the wonderful world of, of vegetables. We have some of Yotem Adelenghi's cookbooks right here. And I got to tell you, I have not seen Emery, like, bring her nose out of this book <laughs> that she's got in front of her. Like, she is deep into it. And Broccolini she's with been peanut sucked in. gochujang dressing. What are you talking about, Rupa? <laughs> I'm paying attention. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot in there. Uh, Odalenghi is the co-owner of seven delis and restaurants in London. When you give right now, you're entered into a sweepstakes to go to London and eat at four of his restaurants that will be important sustenance as you experience everything that that London has to offer. And again, you also, when you give $12 a month, you get one of these cookbooks, one of his best-selling cookbooks that are just amazing and just look incredible and, and have these recipes that make you think about vegetables in ways that you never thought of them before. And I'll just... I'll just say one recipe right here, crispy cheese and mustard cauliflower bites. That's all I'm going to say. I'll I'll just stop right there. But the sweepstakes, the sweepstakes part of it it only is available today. So you need to act as fast as you can and become one of the monthly subscribers we're trying to bring on this fundraiser. Go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287. Yes, on this theme of sustenance, sustain WBUR. We sustain you. We're counting on you in any amount right now, $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 or $30 a month. You know what's right for you. Just do it now. Be there for us. 1-800-909-9287 or WBUR.org. And thank you. WBUR supporters include McLean Hospital. For expert, research-based psychiatric care, turn to McLean. Leading clinicians treating depression, anxiety, addiction, and more. Innovative care from specialists dedicated to improving lives. U.S. News ranks McLean number one for psychiatric care in the country. More at mcleanhospital.org. And Brookline Bank where financial solutions are crafted to the needs of your business and delivered with a hands-on approach committed to your success. Learn more at brooklinebank.com, member FDIC. This is WBWAR's Morning Edition. I'm Rupa Shanoi. The federal government is on track to shut down on Sunday unless a new budget deal is reached. The White House says President Biden has no plans to meet with Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. It says the problem in reaching a deal is between factions of the House GOP. For more, we're joined now by House Minority Whip Massachusetts Congresswoman Catherine Clark. Good morning. Good morning, Rupa. Okay, so there's a little more than 36 hours left to avoid a shutdown. At this point, what are you thinking will happen? You know, what we are seeing is a House GOP that is on an island of their own. They are fighting among themselves over who can be more extreme, where the rest of government is coming together to say we have to avoid this mega shutdown and do everything we can to make sure that we continue to make progress for the American people. Kevin McCarthy has a clear choice. He made a deal over spending and how we proceed with budgets 
back in June, he needs to honor that deal and stop this shutdown. So if this is a problem inside of the Republican Party, what does that leave for you and other Democrats to do? You know, we just continue to be in, you know, in our seats in the House of Representatives, voting for what the American people need. And as we look at these bills, you know, what we what this shutdown is about is a march towards extremism. They want to slash Social Security. They want to slash public education. And they want to criminalize abortion on a national scale. That is why they are taking us, you know, as we are here this morning, to the edge of a shutdown that would be devastating for families at home. The Republicans say, extreme Republicans say that we need to rein in spending. Is that something you agree with? This has nothing to do with reining in spending. This has everything to do with with an extreme agenda and moving it forward. Let me give you a proof point on that. If this was about spending, they would be following the spending agreement they negotiated with the president that we voted for in a bipartisan fashion. They are not interested in good fiscal policy. They are not interested in reducing the deficit. They are interested, as Kevin McCarthy said this week, in burning it all down. Let's say Republicans manage to come up with an 11th hour deal. Are you thinking about what you'll be willing to accept in order to avert a shutdown? You know, again, the the House GOP is isolated here. What we are seeing is, you know, that the Senate is coming together. Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, the Democrats and the Republicans joining the House Democrats, joining the White House in all saying we have the deal. Let's avoid a total shutdown because this is what it would be. And we've seen the last shutdown that the Republicans led was under Donald Trump. And that was a partial shutdown and it cost us $11 billion. So the only people who are not willing to avoid a shutdown, take the deal that was already negotiated in a bipartisan fashion is Kevin McCarthy and his extreme mega Republicans. House Minority Whip Congresswoman Catherine Clark, thank you so much for speaking with Morning Edition. Thank you, Rupa. With auto workers expected to expand their strike, we might be on the verge of another. This one would involve tens of thousands of healthcare workers at Kaiser Permanente. There's one more round of in-person bargaining starting today, and it's the last chance to avoid a strike before their contract expires tomorrow. NPR's Daniel Kay is following the talks, so give us a sense of the scale of the potential strike. How big would this one be? Yeah, so if a strike does happen, it would involve more than 75,000 healthcare workers walking off the job for three days next week, starting on Wednesday. And these workers are represented by 12 local unions from coast to coast that are part of a coalition that's bargaining with Kaiser. And they have all sorts of jobs at Kaiser's hospitals and clinics from California to Washington, D.C. They're nurses, pharmacists, lab technicians, optometrists, just to name a few. 
And Kaiser is one of the biggest nonprofit healthcare providers in the country. It serves almost 13 million patients, so this strike would affect lots of different types of patient care. Okay, so why are we here on the verge of a strike? Well, the main concern here is understaffing. There was already a staffing shortage at Kaiser before the COVID pandemic hit the U.S. in 2020, but the pandemic made the problem that much worse. There's been an exodus of healthcare workers throughout the industry, not just at Kaiser. Remember, healthcare workers were on the front lines, risking their health every day during the pandemic. And on top of that, Kaiser has seen a surge in patient demand as people start to come back for routine care they delayed because of COVID. So the unions, like others currently on strike, are fighting for better benefits and higher pay, a 25% pay raise over the length of the contract. And the unions think better pay and benefits would help keep and draw in more people to Kaiser. And all of that, they say, would help fix the staff shortages. Here's Caroline Lucas, executive director of the coalition of Kaiser Permanente Unions. They work 40, 50, 60 hours a week at a job that we all know as a society that we need to have filled, and they can't pay their bills at the end of the week. And I should note here that Kaiser tells us it's close to meeting its goal of hiring 10,000 more people to fill union roles by the end of the year. But Lucas says so many workers are leaving the organization that hiring just isn't keeping up with those losses. What are you hearing from those workers who might be gearing up to go on the strike? Well, workers I've talked to say they're willing to walk off the job because of how bad the staffing crisis has gotten. Brooke Elamine has been working at Kaiser in the Washington, D.C. area for 21 years. She was an outpatient pharmacist at the start of the pandemic, and she says that's when understaffing started to really take a toll on her mental health. I don't want to strike, but I feel like Kaiser, you know, is already letting down our patients. They're already letting down the employees. And Kaiser is asking employees to reject calls to go on strike to avoid harm to patients, but workers say patient care is already suffering from the staff shortages, and the whole point of the strike would be to try to change that. So speaking of patients, what should Kaiser patients expect next week if a strike does happen? So labor groups in the healthcare industry are required to give 10 days notice before a strike. Uh, The Kaiser unions have already done that, so Kaiser does have time to prepare. Kaiser told me it has plans in place to keep providing care in the event of a strike, but patients can still expect some delays, probably more than usual, in routine appointments next week if the strike does happen. NPR's Danielle Kay. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Astronomers are one step closer to knowing whether a remote moon in our solar system can support life. Recent images from NASA's James Webb Space Telescope have scientists very excited about this cold, watery world. Here's NPR's Alice Wolfley. Scientists aren't totally clear about how many moons Jupiter has, but Europa stands out. You have this global icy shell, and then beneath that, a global layer of salty liquid. And then beneath that, you have the rocky core and then a potentially metallic core within that. So it really is that kind of global layered truffle. Samantha Trumbo is a postdoctoral fellow at Cornell University who studies icy surfaces in space. Using images from the Webb telescope, she and other scientists recently made a very interesting discovery. We think we know that there's carbon in the ocean. Uh, We think that there's evidence that that carbon is in the form of CO2. This may help scientists figure out whether Europa's ocean can support life. Caltech astronomer Mike Brown co-authored a paper on the discovery. Having that carbon dioxide in the ocean is really a good step towards understanding what the conditions on that ocean are like. It doesn't mean that we know there's anything down there. 
but it's at least one more step in telling us that something down there could actually find ways to form energy. But what could possibly live in an ocean beneath several miles of ice? You certainly could have these microbial communities like exist at the bottom of our ocean, deep in the interior of our planet, all these other places that are excluded from sunlight but still have microbial communities. So nothing like the charismatic aliens we see in Hollywood movies, but Brown says these microbes could reveal a lot about how life is formed. We have a whole complicated thing with DNA and respiration and the chemical pathways are incredibly complex. Is there another way or is that some weird universal pathway uh, which is the only way that life can exist? And that would just show us right there that the ability to form life and to replicate can go down many different chemical pathways and there could just be an incredible myriad and diversity of life out there in the universe. Though Brown is quick to point out, it's still too soon to know for sure. None of it has to be true. It could just be that the oceans are carbonated and dead, and that's it. But that won't stop scientists like Brown and Trumbo from continuing to study Europa. Next year, NASA plans to launch the Europa Clipper, which is designed to study the distant moon's surface even more closely. For NPR News, I'm Alice Wolfley. This is NPR News. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Vermont Tourism. Trip ideas and planning tools available at vermontvacation.com. Vermont, a little bit like a dream, very much open. The Huntington, presenting Fat Ham. The 2022 Pulitzer Prize winner reinvents Hamlet with a queer black twist, now through October 29th. Huntingtontheater.org. And Brown University's Master's in Healthcare Leadership, an accelerated one-year program transforming healthcare leaders. Professional.brown.edu. Have you ever wondered how you would feel if tomorrow you woke up and public radio was just gone? Oh, man. That would be tough. I think it would be devastating. Well, I would grieve because there would be no replacement for it. We asked listeners around the country that very question. I've been listening to NPR for a long time. So NPR has been a giant part of my life. And I would be devastated if it wasn't there anymore. It would be a very depressing ride to work. I don't know if there's enough cups of coffee in the world that would be able to get me over that. There, There really is nothing else like it. We donate, but there's a lot of people out there that listen that probably don't donate. And I think uh, that's a really great thing to put into perspective is how would you feel? There's an easy way to feel good about public radio and the financial health of your station. Just support it. Really, do it right now. Call or go online. Your tax-deductible contribution will help ensure public radio isn't going anywhere. It'll be here when you turn on your radio tomorrow. And thanks. This is WBUR's Fall Fundraiser. You're with me, Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy, and Endless Thread host Amory Sievertson. We're here to remind you about everything you get from WBUR every day. All you have to do is turn to 90.9 or put on the WBUR app or ask your smart speaker to play WBUR or maybe read one of our many newsletters. All of that makes it easy to stay up to date on the news every day. And staying up to date helps you stay 
connected to your neighbors, your city, your state, and your country at a time when so many people are struggling to find ways to feel connected. Supporting the news you hear and depend on every morning makes you a responsible and effective member of your community. Our goal this fundraiser is to bring in bring in 2,500 monthly sustainers because when people give monthly, it helps us know what we're working with so we can plan to bring you the news that you depend on. So act now and start a monthly gift to give our journalism a strong and secure future. Call at 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. And here's Emery. Yeah, you know, these are uncertain times. And and when people ask, you know, what can I do for WBUR? How do I protect this resource and make sure that I don't turn it on one morning and it's not there? The easiest, very best thing that you can do is to make a monthly gift. $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, whatever feels right for you. Uh, And here's a great example of what you get when you make that gift. Hi, I'm Chloe Axelson, the senior editor of WBUR's Ideas and Opinion page. A 2017 essay by Julie Wittish-Schlack gets a lot of attention whenever we repost it. The piece pivots on an old photograph of Julie's mom and dad and her aunt and uncle at the beach. All four have lived through tumultuous times, having survived Nazis and bankruptcy and disease. Yet in that photo... You can't imagine four people more full of life. Julie wonders how they did it. Did they have a stronger sense of agency? Had they simply lost their fear? Neither, she concludes. Those four parents simply loved life's essentials. Food, water, sun, and a herd to huddle with. With a blazing fierceness that parched despair before it could take root. I think people love this essay and keep returning to it because it delivers lessons for our anxious times. That even the most difficult of circumstances can be met with love and gratitude. A big part of my job is to help our authors uncover emotional truths. It's one of the ways our role at WBUR goes beyond telling you the news of the day to bringing you stories that illuminate ideas and foster connection. Give monthly to create more stories like that. You'll be able to take pride in the fact that you make this independent, factual journalism possible for your community for free at a time when the truth is a really big deal. It's getting more and more rare. But WBUR brings it to you every day at the turn of a knob or a touch of a button. Our goal is for 2,500 listeners like you to join other sustainers as monthly contributors. Be one of them. And again, here's why. Our model is dependent on your support. You are our biggest share of funding. And as we look ahead, we know we will depend even more on financial support from our listeners. We do have ways to say thank you. A sweepstakes to go to London for five days and four nights to eat at the restaurants of Adelangi, Yotam Adelangi, ends today. So call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. 1-800-909-9287, WBUR.org. Eat the world's best vegetables and support the world's best news. Support for NPR comes from this station and from Fisher Investments. As a fiduciary, Fisher Investments is obligated to act in their clients' best interest. Learn more at fisherinvestments.com. Investments in securities involve the risk of loss. From the Kauffman Foundation... 
providing access to opportunities that help people achieve financial stability, upward mobility, and economic prosperity, regardless of race, gender, or geography. Kaufman.org. From the Walton Family Foundation, working to solve social and environmental problems to improve lives today and benefit future generations. More information at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. And from the sustaining members of this NPR station. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Dave Mattingly. Congress has until tomorrow night to pass funding to keep the federal government open beyond the weekend. A partial shutdown would result in delayed paychecks for millions of federal employees. Later this morning, the United Auto Workers is expected to announce an expansion of its strike against Detroit's big three automakers. NPR's Camila Dominoski says it was a week ago the UAW widened its walkout against GM and Stellantis. No one knows how long these strikes will last, or what kinds of locations could be targeted next, or even which companies. The union has said it will calibrate its strike expansions based on what's happening at the negotiating table. Last week, the union said it was making significant progress with Ford, and it spared Ford's parts distribution centers from the growing walkout. But this week, the union's public comments leave open the possibility that any or all of Detroit's big three could see strikes grow. And there is room to grow. So far, the work stoppages have been designed to have limited ripple effects and have not affected production of the big three's big money makers, which are big trucks. Camila Dominoski, NPR News. There are flood warnings and coastal flood advisories in effect from southeast Virginia to Connecticut. The National Weather Service says heavy rains are likely to trigger flooding in areas that include New York City. This is NPR News. This is WBUR in Boston. I'm Rupa Shanoi. The Massachusetts Republican Party has agreed to a settlement with the state over alleged campaign finance violations. The party will pay $15,000 as part of the agreement. The settlement comes after an investigation into unlawful campaign donations in 2020. The Mass GOP says the party wants to focus on the future now that the suit is taken care of. The former police chief in Methuen is facing fraud and corruption charges. The charges against Joseph Solomon come after years of investigation into the city's police department. Prosecutors say Solomon hired officers that were untrained because he liked them. An untrained officer he hired is also facing fraud charges. Solomon retired in 2021 after being placed on leave amid an investigation into his salary. It's the time of year when people take advantage of the fall weather to explore the outdoors. And as WBUR Samantha Kutzia reports, there's a new state government office aimed at keeping those explorers here in Massachusetts. The newly formed Office of Outdoor Recreation is meant to better advertise outdoor opportunities in Massachusetts. Paul Janagy is director of the new office. He says he wants to get Massachusetts on par with other tourism-focused New England states. We want to promote Massachusetts as a great place to recreate outdoors. We want more people choosing to come to Massachusetts, and we want more residents choosing to stay and play in Massachusetts. Janagy says his office will also focus on accessibility and sustainability in the outdoors. For 90.9 WBUR, I'm Samantha Kutsia. It's 834. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Plymouth Rock Assurance, who believes auto and home insurance should be straightforward 
and works to assure their customers at every step. PlymouthRock.com slash WBUR. The Red Sox lost their fifth in a row last night. They fell to the Orioles 2-0 in Baltimore. With that win, Baltimore captured the American League East title. The teams will play again tonight. A good chance of rain today. It'll be mostly cloudy and we'll have highs in the mid-60s. The clouds stick around tonight. Temperatures drop to the mid-50s. Fog and showers overnight and more rain is possible tomorrow. Otherwise, Saturday will be cloudy with highs in the mid-60s. Then it clears up for a sunny Sunday with highs in the low 70s. Right now, it's 58 degrees in Boston. You're with WBUR. Support for NPR comes from this station. And from Organic Valley, a farmer-owned cooperative dedicated to providing ethically sourced food from small organic family farms across the country. Learn more at ov.coop slash ethically sourced. And from Indeed, designed to be an end-to-end hiring solution for businesses of all sizes to attract, interview, and hire candidates, all from one platform. Learn more at indeed.com slash NPR. This is NPR. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm Sarah McCammon in Washington. And I'm A. Martinez in Culver City, California. It is said to be one of the largest alleged financial frauds in history. And the man accused of orchestrating all of it, Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder of the bankrupt crypto exchange FTX, is set to go on trial next week. If he's found guilty, SBF, as he's better known, could spend the rest of his life in prison. Throughout pretrial proceedings, two people have been at his side constantly, his parents, and they're both star professors at Stanford Law School. But now they're facing their own legal trouble. NPR's David Gura joins us now. Uh, David, so who are SBF's parents? Well, they're both very prominent academics. And from what I've been told, they're very beloved members of the Stanford Law School community, a very close-knit community. And a theme in their scholarship is social welfare, social fairness. I'll start with Joe Bankman. He's an expert on tax law. He's written a lot of books. He's invested a lot of time and his own money in an effort to make it easier for people to file their taxes. And a few years ago, he decided to get his doctorate in psychology. Bankman now works part-time as a therapist in the Bay Area. Barbara Freed has retired from teaching at Stanford. She's an expert on legal ethics. She was a student at Harvard when some giants of modern philosophy were teaching there, Robert Nozick, John Rawls. And in recent years, Freed has tried her hand at fiction and poetry. She turned her attention to politics. She co-founded a political nonprofit that shied away from the spotlight with the goal of electing more Democrats to the House of Representatives. But for almost a year now, honestly, Bankman and Freed have been wholly focused on their son's defense. By all accounts, say this is a very close-knit family. And how are they involved with what their son is being accused of? What are they being accused of, actually? Yeah, they're facing a major civil suit. They're accused of being integrally involved in SBF's crypto empire, which collapsed last year. Joe Bankman allegedly offered legal advice. He helped with hiring decisions. Bankman talked about how he got involved in a podcast interview FTX produced last year. It was clear at the start that on things like law... I mean, the company didn't have any lawyers. So I think my utility there was pretty obvious. Yeah, the company that was run by a lot of young people, this older, eminent law professor stood out. He had a lot of authority. Now FTX is trying to claw back millions of dollars from Bankman and Freed, millions of dollars in both cash and gifts, including a $16.4 million villa in the Bahamas where FTX was based. Joan Bankman had a paid job at FTX. Barbara Freed did not. But she's accused of advising her son and her son's company on their political giving. SBF gave that political nonprofit she founded tens of thousands of dollars. David, what's been the reaction to all this? 
Well, astonishment, according to Michael Klausner, who went to Yale Law with Joe Bankman. Now he's his colleague at Stanford. Bankman is not teaching this quarter, but Klausner says he sees him regularly on campus. I reached out to every professor on the Stanford Law School faculty. Fewer than a dozen replied to me, and only two professors agreed to comment on the record. Mike Klausner is one of them. I think many of us uh, disagree with the way the case has been handled from the moment of the prosecution on. Again, Klausner said he was astonished and sad about how this has played out, from how fast the case has gone to trial to decisions the judge overseeing it has made. NPR's David Gura. David, thanks for explaining this. Thank you. Tensions are running high between India and Canada after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau alleged possible involvement by India's government in the assassination of a Canadian citizen. That's affecting thousands of families in both countries, with India suspending the issuance of visas to Canadian citizens. Shalu Yadav spoke with some of them. My daughter, she's very close to my mom. They are talking every day on video call with my mom, and they said, hey, Nani, we are coming. I'm sorry, Shalu. Ramit Kumar broke down as she recalled the excitement that had been building up in her family about their upcoming trip to India. Her husband and twin children had their bags packed and tickets booked. But just as they were going to apply for their visas, the Indian government announced suspension of visa services for Canadians. Breaking news that's coming in and the Indian visa services... The Kumars became Canadian citizens in 2018. And because India does not allow dual citizenship, they have to obtain a visa every time they want to go back home. This time, they were looking forward to celebrating Diwali and a family wedding in India. Her husband Manish says their hopes came crashing down as they heard the news. So my kids, the uh, twin kids, they were going first time to India. And all my family members and my wife's family members, they were super excited to see them. Seriously, it's so frustrating. Not for my family. It's There are a lot of families out there, you know, they are suffering. The Kumars are from the North Indian state of Punjab, which has the largest Sikh population in India. And Canada is home to the world's largest Sikh population outside of India, many of whom have Canadian citizenship. Canadian security agencies have been actively pursuing credible allegations of a potential link between agents of the government of India and the killing of a Canadian citizen, Hardeep Singh Nijar. This sudden allegation by Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau last week, which India called absurd, has caused anxiety in the diaspora community. And it's not just those who have family ties in both countries. Business owners who have a special connection with India are also impacted. Business is one thing, but emotionally it does affect us. That we can, we're not in a position to do a business with the country where we were born and raised. Amit Bindra became a Canadian citizen in 2009. He owns a construction company in Winnipeg City in Manitoba. He was going to seal his first trade deal with an Indian partner later this year. We used to buy material being supplied from Italy and Spain and all those countries. And uh, it was a little bit more expensive. But then when I was in India earlier this year, I was able to speak with a couple of manufacturers where material for our construction sites out from India. It would have been cheaper. With these restrictions, we may not be able to do that. Just a few months ago, the two countries were making progress towards signing an FTA or a free trade agreement. 
Now, talks are paused and an upcoming Canadian trade mission to India has been postponed too. The free trade agreement talks were seen as a sign that India-Canada ties actually were getting better. Suhasini Haider is the diplomatic editor of prominent Indian newspaper, The Hindu. FTA was actually supposed to boost India-Canada trade to much higher levels, like India has with so many of these other Western developed economies. Um, that's one casualty. Meanwhile, the anxiety among hundreds of families in India and Canada is palpable. Ramit Kumar has a message for the Prime Minister of India back home. I just wanted to tell Prime Minister Mr. Modi, they have to think about the public as well. Please, please, it's a humble request to do something for us, please. But for now, analysts say that the situation could get a lot worse before relations normalize between India and Canada leaving family and business ties in a limbo. For NPR News, I'm Shalu Yadav in Delhi. This is NPR News. WBUR supporters include Cambridge Science Festival, Boston Fashion Week, Illuminous, and Stiggity Stacks, a one-night-only future fashion experience, tomorrow, September 30th in Kendall Square. And Fort Point Arts Community inviting you to tour the iconic artist studios at Open Studios October 13th through 15th. For more information about this free event, visit fortpointarts.org. Cloudy in mid-60s today with a good chance of rain. Overcast in mid-50s tonight with more rain likely overnight. Saturday, showers possible. It'll be in the mid-60s. Sunny on Sunday in the low 70s. Right now, it's 58 degrees in Boston. We're funded by you, our listeners, and by Vertex, committed to making a difference in biotech to create and deliver innovative therapies for people with serious diseases. Career opportunities at vrtx.com. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. In a world where often only those who can afford a subscription are the ones with access to the most credible, high-quality news sources, WBUR is available to anyone, anywhere, anytime, at no cost. But we can't take our future for granted. Giving monthly is the key to keeping WBUR strong. So help us get to our fall fundraising goal of 2,500 new monthly contributors. Start your monthly gift at WBUR.org. You're listening to the Fall Fundraiser on WBUR. And as you heard from Megna right there, we're asking 2,500 of you to join us as monthly contributors. Be our partner in independent journalism and take pride in delivering this service to your community. And there's a lot to be proud of. We hold powerful people to account. We shine a light where there is none. And we provide a platform to people who don't have one. Giving monthly matters because it gives WBUR sustained, reliable support we know we can depend on. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org. I'm Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy, and I'm super lucky this morning to be joined by the host of the Endless Thread podcast, Amory Sievertson. Rupa, I feel super lucky, too, and I feel super lucky to have, you know, a community of support out there for WBUR that, that we 
do have already that has made everything that other listeners have heard on Morning Edition this morning possible. And so right now we're asking you to join them. We're asking you to nourish WBUR, to support us, to, to give us um, the resources that, that it takes to bring you everything that you've heard. And we will nourish you in return with the possibility <laughs> to win a trip to London, five days, four nights, the chance to eat at four of Yotam Adelangi's restaurants, uh, which will certainly nourish you with the good stuff, the way vegetables should be, the same way that WBUR brings you the news and information as it should be. So call 1-800-909-9287. Go to WBUR.org. Make that monthly gift in any amount. When NPR first came on the air, a set of principles guided our work. NPR will serve the individual, promote personal growth, regard differences with respect and joy rather than derision and hate. NPR will provide listeners with an experience that enriches and gives meaning to the human spirit. NPR will explore, investigate, and try to interpret issues of the day so listeners might better understand themselves, as well as governments, institutions, our world. NPR will be trustworthy, enhance intellectual development, expand knowledge, and increase the pleasure of living in a pluralistic society. NPR will be a service to listeners that makes them more responsive, informed human beings, and responsible citizens of their communities and the world. And that's still our purpose, work we do with you and for you. And we can only do it with your support. So please donate to this station today. That was the host reading from NPR's original mission statement. These are values that still guide us today. We need you to be our partner in keeping those values alive and allowing us to bring you news based on those values every single day. Your monthly giving gives WBUR long-term sustainability. It keeps us strong and makes sure that we'll be there in the future. And when you give today, just today, it runs out today, you can still get in on the sweepstakes to go to London for five days and four nights and eat at Adelangi's restaurants and experience everything there is to experience in London. So go to WBUR.org or call 1-800-909-9287 and give what you can. We will be so grateful. Thank you. We are funded by you, our listeners, and by UMass Chan Medical School, advancing medicine, nursing, and science together. More on their culture of collaboration at umassmed.edu together. And the Museum of Science, featuring Arctic Adventure, an immersive Arctic world exploration with technology as your guide. Tickets at mos.org. It's Morning Edition from NPR News. I'm e. Martinez. And I'm Sarah McCammon. This month, we've been marking 20 years of StoryCorps, sharing classic conversations with updates. And today, we catch up with an extraordinary mother. My name is Mary Johnson, and we're in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That was 2011, when Mary sat down with O'Shea Israel. As a teenager, O'Shea got into a fight with Mary's son and killed him. After he served a prison sentence for murder, they had this conversation. You and I met at Stillwater Prison. I wanted to know if you were in the same mindset of what I remember from court, where I wanted to go over and hurt you, but you were not that 16-year-old. You were a grown man. I shared with you about my son. And he became human to me. You know, when I met you, it was like, okay, this, this guy is real. And then when it was time to go, 
you broke down and started shedding tears and the initial thing to do was just try to hold you up as best I can. Just hug you like I would my own mother. And I began to say, I just hugged the man that murdered my son. And I instantly knew that all that anger and the animosity, all the stuff I had in my heart for 12 years for you, I knew it was over, that I had totally forgiven you. As far as receiving forgiveness from you, sometimes I still don't know how to take it because I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. It's still a process that I'm going through. I treat you as I would treat my son. And our relationship is beyond belief. We live next door to one another. Yeah, we actually bump into each other all the time, leaving in and out of the house. And our conversations, they come from, boy, how come you ain't called over here to check on me in a couple of days? (laughs) You ain't even asked me if I need my garbage to go out. Uh I find those things funny because it's a relationship with a mother for real. Well, my natural son is no longer here. I didn't see him graduate. You know, you're going to college. I'll have the opportunity to see you graduate. I didn't see him get married. Hopefully one day I'll be able to experience that with you. You still believe in me. And the fact that you can do it despite how much pain I'll cause you, it's amazing. I love you, lady. I love you too, son. It's been 12 years since we sat down for our first StoryCorps interview, and a lot has changed. Hmm. I, myself, have two children. My son, he's three, and the little girl. He's how old now? She's six years old now. I remember when she was born, you helped me get the car seat for her. But since we were living next door to each other, you left me for another fella. (laughs) His name is Ed. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I first got wind of the you and Ed going out on dates. I'm like, wait, what's going on? He was mine. (laughs) But you all blessed me with the opportunity to not only be present in the wedding, but to walk you down the aisle. That was like, again, your words, beyond belief. Yeah. It's just been an amazing journey from a hug to you being a grandmother through me with my kids, to you just being a beacon of light to a lot of people. On our last interview, we ended it with me saying, I love you, lady. Mm. And I still feel the same way. Mary has spent decades helping other families who've lost children to gun violence. But in 2021, she was diagnosed with dementia. Her husband, Ed Roy, has been her main caretaker. Ed also had a son who was murdered. In fact, that's how he and Mary met. They recently spoke about Mary's illness. There was a lot of things that neither one of us didn't understand. Leaving something on the stove, parking your car a few houses down the street. And as it progressed, you started seeing things, the invisible people. And we talked about it, honey. You know, what do we do? We made humor out of them. Well, we call them the little people. (laughs) (laughs) So just like when you had several bowls of cereal out, you was feeding them. And I said, look, now, you're giving all my Captain Crunch to the little people. What about me? (laughs) And you start laughing. (laughs) And so we have so many moments. Yeah, I need to 
Write them down. They are written down. They're written down in our hearts, honey. Sometimes I think about when people say that a mind is a terrible thing to waste. But you know what? The heart is the terrible thing to waste. How many men would do the things that you do as far as taking care of me? Like putting on my shoes today. Well, that's what it's all about. Don't think about just the memory things. We're here to remember for each other. Don't worry about the reading, because I'm here and read to you. Yeah. You know, it's about us taking care of one another. You've given me, Mary, a reason for living. I always told you that, mm-hmm. though. You're my angel. So it's true. It's true what they say about when, uh, when they say, wait on God, that he'll send you that person. You know, he knew what was in my heart. Wow. I love you. I love you. That's Ed Roy with his wife, Mary Johnson Roy. All of Mary's conversations are archived at the Library of Congress. Major support for StoryCorps comes from Subaru, featuring the new 2024 Subaru Crosstrek Wilderness with off-road capability and 9.3 inches of ground clearance designed for adventure seekers. Learn more at Subaru.com slash wilderness. And from Dignity Memorial, dedicated to celebrating each life with compassion and attention to detail, they help to plan life celebrations now so families don't have to later. Learn more at DignityMemorial.com. This is NPR News. WBUR supporters include AE Events, design and production of corporate and nonprofit events, weddings and conferences. Website at aeevents.com. Authentic, artful, accomplished. We have some breaking news that Senator Dianne Feinstein of California, who was a trailblazing Democratic power broker in the U.S. Senate for 30 years, has died. She was 90 years old and had suffered from frail health and memory issues. Again, Senator Dianne Feinstein of California has died. I'm Deepa Fernandez. The crisis in journalism has been chronicled many times over. The pandemic and current economic conditions hasten the decline. Most of the focus has been on newspapers, but even WBUR's own future is far from assured. That's why we need more members and member dollars. Giving $10 or $20 every month is the single best thing you can do to keep our journalism going. Give monthly at WBUR.org. And thank you. This is Morning Edition host Rupa Shinoy back with you where I'm with uh, Endless Thread host Amory Sievertson. Amory, thank you so much for being here. We This is the fall fundraiser on WBUR. We're reminding you about what you get from WBUR, the important breaking news that you just heard. Also consistent, factual, high-quality work in context brought to you with high journalism ethics standards. Now we're coming back to you to remind you that this costs a lot of money and we need your support to keep our future strong. 
We depend on you for our largest share of support, so be part of what we do by contributing whatever feels right to you. This fundraiser, we're trying to bring on 2,500 new monthly subscribers and contributors, sorry. And again, it doesn't have to be much. A small monthly gift will have a big and meaningful impact. It means we'll be able to continue to bring you the important journalism you rely on to be there every morning. So help us make progress toward this goal. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR.org and give what you can. Amory, take it away. Yeah, you know, this is a, a good reminder that you out there listening like us, we we don't know what the news is going to be always when we mm-hmm. wake up in the morning. But you know, like we know, that we're going to cover it. We're going to help you make sense of it. We're going to help you understand it. Of course, we will be unpacking and sharing more and analyzing the legacy of uh, California Senator Dianne Feinstein today, because that's what WBUR does. We we take on the news and, and we make it all make sense for you. And you rely on that. We know you do. So we're asking you to support it so that we know that we can be here for you day in and day out, month in and month out, year in and year out. Um, Today is a great time to give, especially because we do have the sweepstakes on the table. You get a chance to win five days, four nights to London to eat at Adelangi's restaurants. I want you to get in on that. And and I want to know that you have our backs the same way that we have yours, even in these very uncertain times. And here is just a great example of that from Chloe Axel. Hi, I'm Chloe Axelson, the senior editor of Cognoscenti, WBUR's Ideas and Opinion page. One of my very favorite Cog essays is about the power of admitting our own ignorance. Leah Hager Cohen wrote the piece. She's an author and a college writing instructor. Her essay for us became the basis of a whole book about the courage to say, I don't know. Here's a little bit of her essay. The condition of being human involves an awful lot of not knowing. The more we're able to acknowledge this, the more unabashedly we may inhabit our own skins. Leah writes that our culture often places value on judging and gatekeeping, but the freedom to say, I don't know, honors vulnerability. It chews away the tendency many of us have to pretend to know more than we do because we're fearful of being found out or excluded. It's the kind of self-protection that can make you feel more disconnected and lonely. We don't know everything at WBUR, and we don't purport to. But in our work to seek truth, facts, and understanding, we value the chance to be a trusted member of your community. We know that you value stories like that. We know that you want to keep bringing them and the breaking news that you hear and depend on from us. We know that you also appreciate some thank you gifts. So remember that this is the last day of a sweepstakes to get to go to London for five days and four nights. And also when you give $12 a month, you get to get one of the best-selling cookbooks of Otto Lange, one of the rising stars in the culinary world. Call 1-800-909-9287 or go to WBUR right now and please give. Thank you. WBUR supporters include Spalding Rehabilitation. For expert care, turn to Spalding. With three inpatient hospitals, a skilled nursing facility, and outpatient centers across Eastern Mass, Spalding is a world leader in advanced rehab treatment and research. U.S. News ranks Spalding number two for rehab care in the country. SpaldingRehab.org. And Bassberry and Sims Healthcare Law Practice advising academic medical centers and healthcare providers on complex legal matters nationwide. 
More at BassBerry.com. I'm Morning Edition Executive Producer Dan Guzman. This is 90.9 WBUR-FM Boston, 92.7 WBUA-Tisbury, and 89.1 WBUH-Brewster. Listen anytime with our app or at WBUR.org. WBUR, Boston's NPR news station.